I see innovation not only as an exclusively technical thing. Yeah, Of course, innovation can be technical, but innovation can be also a cultural thing. Innovation can be a physical thing, how we get together, how we meet each other. Welcome to a brand new episode of our podcast, Human and AI, Mind, Machines and the Gradient Descent. Awesome that you tuned in. We are Vera and Uli, the moderators of today's podcast. And our today's genius mind is Thomas Luister. He says that he is on the hunt for cultural and technical experiments to transform Siemens from inside out. In addition, He is also the chairman of the Idea Company, an internal startup and a community of Siemens employees who take ownership of innovation. That sounds bold and awesome. Enough of an introduction. Let's dive right into it. More than happy to have Thomas with us today. Thomas, thanks for joining us today. Can you describe in a couple of minutes who are you and how did you end up at Siemens? Well, first of all, uh, I'm the one with a big smile on my face, getting these props even before I said anything in here. Yeah, I mean, you said I'm I'm the chair of Idea Company. We are a community of volunteers who try to do things a bit differently within Siemens. Even if we are in a corporate, we try to do everything not to be corporate, to to think a bit out of the boxes, to experiment a little bit, and uh, yeah, to change the organization in, in several ways. But who are you? Who is Tom? How how did you end up at you know committed to Siemens? Well, the journey was quite similar as for many others. I was working for an external consultancy, then had a huge project within Siemens and uh, was pulled into the system, and more than happy about that since eight years now. And your origin? What what is your origin? Are you computer science? Are you you know economics? Where was your was your roots? I'm coming from the complete different uh, angle. I studied uh, psychology of work. And then worked as an IT consultant. However, that took place. There is a bigger story behind that. But well, I I was always a fiend for any IT topics, and so I ended up at IT within Siemens. I'm curious, what is the biggest story behind it? Yeah, I was running an external company, a quite small one, and it was back in 2007 when SharePoint came up from Microsoft or the first SharePoint server. And a friend of mine was working for a consultancy and he said, well, we're doing SharePoint everywhere, so it could be a great solution for you to organize your internal stuff. So while we set up a server, well, a colleague of mine set it up. And two weeks later, I got a phone call from the boss of my colleague who said, I've heard that you're a SharePoint expert. We are looking for for some new hires. And I said, well, uh, I know how to write it. He said, well, that's enough common join our team and that's how i got to the consulting to it consulting yeah getting getting expertise and you know applying it great yeah awesome. but before diving into the geeky things right we we have somehow the experience that you know who is passionate about technology who is passionate about innovation is also passionate about music are you into music any any instruments you play and if you reflect on the last couple of weeks and months what would be then the soundtrack of your you know of tom over the last months Well, I'm a bit into music. I started to play the piano. I actually started with my kids like four years ago and really fun of doing that. But besides that, I'm more into electronical music. Yeah. And if I had to explain the last weeks in any kind of music, then it would be really progressive drum and bass with very high beats per minute uh, because uh, there is lots to do currently. 
So there's a lot to do currently, but how do you and your team experience the current situation? Like, and what gets you and your team motivated and how do you cope with the challenges? Well, if we face on the challenges first, actually for us, the challenge isn't that big as we are completely virtual or we were a completely virtual team even before the, the current situation. Most of the people I work with, I've never met them. So I mean, we are a community of volunteers, just people here and there dropping in, popping out. So the same setting as everybody's in right now. When it comes to the motivation, this is quite high at the moment because, I mean, we at Idea Company, we say that we, we connect employees. We are driving this digital mindsets within Siemens. And of course, all the tools that we built in the past are heavily used and promoted in, in, in all angles of the organization. So, I mean, be it podcasting tools that we deliver internally, some virtual event platforms and stuff like that. So there's lots of momentum going on, lots of people who are getting aware of Idea Company. And this, this really keeps us busy, but this is the positive form of being busy. Yeah. So one step back, can you describe to the audience what's it all about, the Idea Company? Well, we, as I said, we are a community of volunteers. We make ideas happen that wouldn't happen if there weren't idea company. Uh, so usually there are lots of great ideas within a corporate, but then people always say, okay, who's financing that? Then there is no budget, and then it just ends up in, in good ideas. What we do is that we, with our volunteers, make things happen, and we don't need any budgets. We don't need any headcounts because we just gather all the resources that we need to, to implement things. And things can then be currently working in three areas. It can be tools, so small web application apps where we really support people, like an internal podcasting platform, some event platforms that we're building. It can be cultural events where we run innovation festivals. We do after-work sessions. We had a Docs at Work project. And we are experimenting a little bit with, with services, how we call it. Uh, where we try to come up with services where Siemens is usually paying money to external agencies and we are just internalizing them or coming up with nice, easy, hands-on solution to record a podcast without an agency because everybody can do it there. Mm. Oh, that's, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so awesome, man. So in first place, I need to say, hey, because, you know, IT, in terms of Corona, enormous kudos to, to the IT organization for making a virtual organization, right? 360,000 people and more, I guess, right? Suddenly in home office, some, suddenly, you know, dialing in, suddenly using, you know, URA and tooling, right? And making this stable networks, uh, folks out there, If you are in IT and Siemens IT, a lot of kudos goes from us to you guys because it's pretty awesome uh, what you have done, right? Uh, enormous effort having this smooth lesson. This is not, you know, uh, I guess in, in the past, a lot of bashing was also, is always done on, on the corporate level, right? I guess, but this really shows the beauty and the power of, of Siemens IT, yeah. What, what's interesting is, right, we, we in, in the lab, in the Siemens lab, we, we also explore a bit of the concept of what we call holacracy, right? And uh, I, I have I've read and heard about, right, as, as the idea company is also a virtual representation, so you're also pushing towards self-organization within the idea, right? Is that too lunatic organization? How would it work? How does it work being, you know, not as an org chart button in there, but having a self-organization? Can you share some of, you know, the process do you follow? What is the set? up how how why is people joining here 
I mean, when we started Idea Company, it was set up as a startup. We had a CEO, a CIO, CTO, whatever. And then when I was elected as CEO, I said, well, the first thing that I want to do is get rid of titles, get ready for growth. Yeah, And, and we this management board was just erased. Yeah, of course, that gave lots of discussions and, and some uh, argumentations internally, uh, but we also looked at all these holacracy things, sociocracy, and, and all these self-organizing uh, methodologies which are out there. And in the end, we just built up something out of the stuff that we saw out there, which is valid for us. And now we have a structure which is oriented on sociocracy, so we have these circle structures. We don't have any hierarchies. We only have for these topic circles, always lead. And the lead is not a hierarchy. It's just a coordinating function to keep the, the dots together. We are fully based in a pull principle. So no one with an idea company can ever tell anybody else to do something. It's always, hey, we have a new idea. We have a new to do. Who's willing to help? And then if someone's raising the hand, we are, we are implementing the stuff. And if there is no reaction then it just ends up in, in a backlog. And, and this is the way how we organize ourselves. We then have an OKR cycle, the, these objectives and key results that, that we set up in, in a three-month range, where we define for all the, these circles we are working on, these tools, the experiences, the, the cultural stuff, and, and these services, where we define, okay, this is the, the focus for the next three months. And then we try to attract people to join us, to make these focus topics happen. Then we communicate it to, to the community afterwards. So every three months, there's a broadcast, how we call it, where we then tell everybody who's interested what have we achieved in the last three months and what is the focus for the next three months. So the OKRs are fully transparent or is somebody revising them? How do you set targets, right? Is, how do you set these key results and revision? Is that you know fully, fully transparent or is that individual cycle? Can you share a bit of the best practice there? Yeah, it's transparent. So it's not the circle lead or, uh, or me as a chairman of idea company defining these targets. We just sit together in these circles and we say, okay, next three months, what shall we focus on? And someone is saying, well, I'd like to work a bit on the on the back end or the infrastructure topics to get a bit more professional. The other one is saying, hey, I have that great idea to, to X, Y, Z, uh, and I would like to pick that one up. Is, is anyone willing to help? And, and this is how we define the, these, these key results. And for us, the key results, it's, it's not these hard targets that you're used to have in, in a corporate or something. Yeah? For us, it's really focus topics. So we say, this is our focus that we then can communicate to all the, the peers out there and say, look, this is what we want to do. Do you want to support? We look for some people to support the next stage of our internal podcast platform. Is there anyone with experience, anyone who's really into podcasting who wants to support? And this, for example, was the way how we got started because we just attracted the podcast community within Siemens who then were willing to help. And this is how we run the, the whole story then. So it sounds like communication is key. So you say about yourself that innovation is my challenge, communication my strength. What role has communication in the innovation process or self-organization? Well, communication is a very important part. First of all, to that statement with, with innovation is my challenge. I see innovation not only as an exclusively technical thing. Yeah, Of course, innovation can be technical, but innovation can be also a cultural thing. Innovation can be a physical thing, how we get together, how we meet each other. Innovation is a, is a wide range. And of course, communication is everything. Because if we are not able to communicate what we are doing, if you're not able 
to motivate people, not able to give the necessary appreciation in, in our environment, then we won't make things happen. If we try to do things on our own and uh, get this not invented here syndrome, uh, then, then I think we will never be successful, especially not in a self-organized system where you do things because you want to do things and not because you want to shine in the end. I think that's, that's the big thing. You need to communicate. I guess, you know, if, if you set up such a marvelous organization in a process-driven organization, such as large corporates, right, you know, that attracts, a sim you know, always somehow what we call, I guess, the corporate rebels, right? So, you know, and conformity is the enemy of innovation, right? And it's, it's barely you find these rebels, right? Do we need more rebels in our organization? And how do we make sure we don't crush them? You know, that these kinds of rebels which break boundaries with like, you know what, let's do that, right? Let's, let's you know, not, not ask for 20 permissions and, you know, push to, towards the hierarchy. How do you survive as a rebel in, in large organizations? <laughs> well, first of all, I don't see myself as a rebel. Yeah, actually, because I don't like this expression of corporate rebels because a rebel for me is someone who's fighting against something and if you try to fight against the establishment if you try to fight against against the corporate you'll never be successful my mindset is that we are working towards something and i'm not sure whether all rebellions have the the aim of working towards something yeah also in the current situation yeah it might be good what we are doing what the governments are doing it might be bad but just coming up with with ideas and conspiracy things and being against everything doesn't help anyone. So I, I think we don't need more rebels. I think we need more people who are proactively trying to drive their ideas into a company. No one is helped with if people have thousands of ideas. Uh, we need people who, who make things happen. And, and this is what we need. And this is where we need breeding grounds to make this happen. And I'm, I'm absolutely support, convinced that We have to stop complaining about the current situation. Yeah. So being a rebel is not always beneficial and could also prohibit innovation in a way. What would be the top three reasons from your perspective why most corporate innovation programs fail? I think it's silos, silos, and silos. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you if you have a look at our company, there are lots and tons of innovation initiatives. And I mean, you've seen them, you know them. They're everywhere. We're building even platforms to give transparency on the different innovation initiatives. Why? Because everybody wants to have his own initiative that then gets The, the visibility and the success and this stamp that you did something good in the end. And I think that's the big problem. If you have a look what usually happens, and it doesn't matter which initiative we are looking at. There might be some which are better than others, but in many cases, there is a small initiative started in one department, and then you get this this first investment and first supporters, and then you get a business case, and then comes the place where someone from the other silo is, is looking at you saying, hey, I would like to get your support as well. But then your, your management says, well, but we can't support the other use cases with our innovation budget. And then the ideas dry out. And I think this is really the main problem, that we don't have central innovation budget 
which is accessible for everyone because even the overall initiatives are funded somewhere. Yeah, I mean, if you look at, at some initiatives in within Siemens, for the one, you have to be a German employee. For the other one, you have to work at CT. For the other one, you have to be at SCM. For the next one, you have to be at Energy. But you can't start a project where a person from CT, IT, SCM, a guy from India works together. This will lead to a conflict in the end. And I think this is a problem. The colleagues at Energy are doing a great job right now. They're starting one of these Kickstarter initiatives really over the whole company and everybody can apply and it's clear how the, the thing is going. And I really like their approach. So really appreciation to the guys setting up the whole process over there. Yeah, truly right. They also pick up a bit of the concept of, of crowdfunding, right? The quick start of momentum that, were, that Siemens also had, you know, together and foster the, the engagement, let's say, right, from the entire organization. I, I guess also, you know, culture uh, and failure culture is something uh, of important. In the in the lab, we run what we call, you know, um, so-called coding sprints, development sprints. We call them, you know, fail fast in five days in order to to motivate a bit of the aspect that we want to explore certain capabilities and therefore we need to go risky and we want to test, learn and test and adapt uh, as fast as possible and learn to get enough about, you know, how to improve over different iterations. And that means, you know, a culture of let's say exploration a culture of feedback you know getting feedback how do you cope with you know a failure culture in in the idea company is there do you have special formats for that would you want to kind of share with us the good thing is we are not burning any budget and if you're not burning any budget then you can't fail it's just some things work out and some, some others don't. I mean, we even have a podcast which is called What's the Next Big Idea? And it's not about these fancy, shiny, successful ideas. It's also about all these ideas that just didn't work out in the end, where people tried something. They had a good idea, but for some reason, it didn't work out. And I think this is the mindset that we had. We are the ones who are bold enough to try things out. We are the ones inviting some management to new formats where we just try new technology and we tell them, if you participate, it might happen that this doesn't work out, even in a live event with 5,000 participants. And I think this is what we just make clear from the very beginning, that we are here to try something out. And if we have 10 ideas, seven might work out, three of them might really get successful, and the other ones, they just won't scale up. They are there, but nobody uses them. And it's absolutely clear for everyone. And I think this is the good one. Usually there's always someone who has to say, okay, whose fault was it? And we don't have it because we didn't burn any budget. We don't have a customer behind our ideas. We just make ideas happen that might be usable and scalable throughout the organization. And if you're not successful, then this idea just would not scale up. Talking about trying and failing, when was the last time you really fucked it up, like on a corporate level? And what did you learn out of it? <laughs> I mean, we are somehow successful. We are somehow fucking it up every day. Yeah? If, if you're running a community of volunteers, you always, I mean, you rely on people and, and then you realize, okay, they just have other projects and, and you can't do anything. And this is, for me, the fuck-ups. When I realize that we want to do something, but we can't due to the organization, yeah? Because people, they have motivation and commitment and they can't. And these are the bad moments for me. Besides that, I mean, of course, we sometimes get some <laughs> some hiccups in, in, in the stuff that we do, but there wasn't that really big issue, yeah? 
I mean, I remember one thing that was quite a funny one. We came out with a new application and it was kind of a couch surfing application at Siemens. And then someone came and said, hey, you can't call it couch surfing because couch surfing is a trademark. Then we discussed internally, had a quick coffee, a virtual coffee. And 10 minutes later, we had a new name. Everybody was happy. We promoted it. We went live. And then we realized that that platform was also trademarked, but no one checked it. Yeah. <laughs> and even a worse one. Yeah, that, that was one of the fuck-ups of the last half year. Okay. But we, we need to talk also about uh, somehow of the role of AI, obviously, right? How do you see the role of artificial intelligence for a corporate IT? Can you share some thoughts? some, you know, your view on what's the impact of AI in, in the IT landscape? Mm -hmm. I mean, AI, yeah. Are there any buzzwords out there? I think so, yes. Is AI one of them? Yes. Uh, not in a negative sense, just in a sense that, that it's hard to set a frame around and say, okay, this is AI, this is not AI anymore. And this is the, the big advantage of AI, I think. Yeah. Whenever we talk about digitalization, yeah, there might be AI involved. Whenever we talk about industry 4.0, there might be AI involved. And AI is IT, yeah, just in a different sense. And I think we just all have to work together. And there I'm back to the silo topic. It doesn't matter where you're from. Let's have your ideas and see how you can use the, the state-of-the-art technology stack to make things happen. And I think this is where I see AI within IT, yeah? to brainstorm together how we can leverage the topics. I, I see quite quite some aspect, right? At the moment, uh, we we coming from a loop where a lot of each individual business units, but also individual companies out there, right, do their exploration, do their phase on getting the hands on on AI and machine learning technology, about the toolboxing, all in different natures. So it's like you know, starting with I don't know, working students or some second uh, external company, third maybe internal, some kinds of competences, and then you know maybe. Uh, gathering a competence level. And though there seem to be a lot of, of aspects, initiatives, uh, you know, trapped in, in what's called the never-ending proof-of-concept phase, right? Not going to productive, right? Which seems to be very critical. It's like, you know, trying things out and shipping AI to practice and in, in productive is something different. And I think that's somehow such a great opportunity for an IT organization with themselves. It's sort of software-driven, code-based-driven, right? To see like, okay, this helping, you know, this industrial AI DevOps, basically, you know, taking this challenge and, and enabling that, right? That, that would be a great opportunity, actually. Yeah, definitely. And I think there are lots of initiatives doing a great job. I mean, you, the AI lab, yeah, what a great approach. Uh, also, the guys from IT, the Digitalization Enablement Center, doing a great job, yeah. I mean, they're the ones setting up uh, all the, or making these platforms available for Siemens, yeah, that you can play around and, and make your use cases on these platforms like Google Cloud Platform and Amazon and whatever they're called, yeah. And I think this is necessary to, to make AI accessible and understandable for our employees and to take the fear from the business to, to get in touch with these technologies because you think, oh, that's the next thing I don't understand. Yeah. Show them. It's easy. Let's get started. Let's run a five, what do you call it? Five days fail fast uh, workshop uh, and see where we get with our idea and to see whether it makes sense to use these technologies for, for our use cases or not. 
And there again, we need a central budget that there is not a customer saying, okay, I'm now willing to pay 15,000 euro to run this project. It should be the other way around. You have to at least run 10 of these workshops a year to reach your goals. Yeah, this should be the way. And people would be much bolder or bold enough to, to start these things. Does it make sense? It definitely makes sense. Yeah, I agree. If you like pushing AI and automation solution possess also challenges, like we already said, on the team and colleagues side with regards to upskilling, mindset, maybe also agility. Can you share some challenges, but also best practices, like to sum it up, um, that you collected throughout the transformation? It's, it's always hard if you go to the majority of the people and say, why, why don't you skill up? Why aren't you interested in these topics? The most of them will tell you because I, I don't have any time. Yeah, And I think that's the, the, the same what I just said before. It's not about a person who has to take the decision to gather new knowledge. It has the organization telling you that it's part of your job to do this. And I mean, if, if I tell you that you only reach your, your bonus this year's or you, you only reach your goals this year's if you, I don't know what, we all know these goal processes uh, that, that we have and we have to tell the people, do educate yourself. Yeah, This is necessary. And this is just a complete change in the mindset that, that we need to do. But to be honest, I, I don't know how to set it up because so many people are so, I don't know whether it's just lazy, uh, whether it's this change resistant or what, what it is that people are not willing to proactively get involved into these topics. Because one hour a week is so much, yeah? Do a one-hour tutorial online on whatever platform And you gain so much knowledge. Do you have some recommendations for platforms you use for stuff like upskilling? I mean, you can start with these Google AI sites, uh, the Microsoft teaching sites that are out there. You can go to Coursera. You can go to Plural site if you have licenses for it. I think it doesn't matter. If you're not a real geek on these topics, then it doesn't matter where you go. Even each article you read on Medium or LinkedIn is worth to read, but don't stop reading because it's longer than two minutes. Yeah, that's the thing. People want to have this two-minute information snippets, but then you will never overcome this burden of what is the difference between AI and machine learning and deep learning? You won't get there if you just read these two-minute articles. Yeah, but it's, I, I guess it's a challenge, right? And it's, it's uh, digitalization and digitizing the process have such a profound impact, right? On, on the way we work and the, how we collaborate and the way we communicate, right? That's a challenge. And it's, it's not to blame, not only to blame, you know, on, on certain um, people, but it's, you know, it's, it's, it's part of all of our, I guess, responsibilities to, you know, to come up with ideas, <laughs> how to motivate, how to collaborate, how to engage and, and, you know, making this transformation with Significantly changes the way how we do it. Not because only we are now in you know in a distributed home office setup, but as it continues that we digitize our process and we make it more efficient and we turn things upside down basically, right? And that's that's really really tricky. That's a really a, a huge challenge, I guess, right? It is a challenge, yeah. On the other hand, um, I mean, I'm not that much into AI topics. I'm I'm a lot into well let's call it web development, app development stuff. And this is what Idea Company also is for, that we have that guy who says, actually, I did some coding when I was, I don't know, at school, 
but I never really got into it. Uh, and then he comes to idea company saying, hey, I, I have some coding background, but never really did it. Is there any possibility to pick that up with idea company? And we said, for sure, come in, try out. Here's some use cases, play around with it. There's the platform. There's our code, Siemens.com. Grab our code. Here's some tutorials. This is how we work. And then people start working. And I think this is the, the environment that we have to deliver and allow within the working hours that people spend some of their time on projects they'd love to spend their time on. And it's not only about AI. Someone might be interested in marketing topics. Someone might be interested in storytelling and, and writing articles. The other one is into wants to get into AI and, and the next one into blockchain technology. It doesn't matter which one you choose, but we have to give the opportunity to choose something. And I think many people just are afraid to ask or are working in a very challenging environment that doesn't allow to easily say, I, I'm going to spend two hours a week on AI. Your boss might even say, go for it, but you're already working 45, 50, 60 hours, and then you know, I can do, but then it's the 61 and 62nd hour, and you might not be willing to do such a... Yeah, true, actually. But you're you're also pushing and enabling and shaping your know, different initiative towards you know corporate responsibility or sustainability most recently, right? Can you can you share some of the lessons learned? We uh, you know last week I I guess you connected all, uh, the entire world, right? It was like a full blown day with you know initiatives. Can you share a bit of you know the role of it here, your motivation behind it, maybe, and what's all about in this global Earth connection? Yeah, actually, it again came from the, I don't like the rebel stuff, yeah? I mean, we've seen lots of these different initiatives out there, which are always telling everyone, you have to change, you have to do something different, politics have to change, the corporates have to change. And I say, no, 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 you have to change, you have to change yourself. And this is where the, the initiative in, in Munich was born. Together with, with a good colleague of mine, we started this uh, Siemens Goes Green initiative where we stopped mowing the lawns on our huge campus in, in, in Munich at, at Siemens, where we started to set up some bird feeding stations and uh, similar other stuff. Yeah, And we did a podcast around that. And then many other initiatives worldwide got in contact with us saying, hey, great, we're also having some initiatives at our local sites. And uh, in Orlando, they had a group who said, well, we are participating at Earth Day since years. And we said, Earth Day, Siemens, what a great idea. Why don't we join all together and make a huge event out of it? And actually, it was planned to have like 10,000 Siemens employees out there in environmental activities on Earth Day, 22nd of April. But then Corona came and somehow it was not possible anymore. So we then said, well, just let's at least have a virtual event to let all the people come together who are already planning stuff like you in the AI lab with this sustainability hackathon and, and other initiatives, just displaying what's already going on within Siemens. And the day is not canceled, it's just postponed and we're gonna bring these 10,000 people out there in activities whenever it's possible again. That sounds really great. Thomas, we are almost at the very end of our session. But before, we have a small game for you. Let me give you, for the closing, a couple of sentence starter phrases and you will finish. Siemens is... Awesome. Innovation is... <laughs> you already know that. My challenge. <laughs> purpose is... Well, purpose is something we have to finalize and not get stuck with. The person that inspires me the most is? Currently my daughter. 
my favorite quote is? That's the Peter Drucker one. We can't, uh, I don't know the, the, the exact words, but we can't face today's challenges with yesterday's methods. Thank you so much for your time and the inspiring insights. Thomas, thanks very much. Man. Yeah, thank you guys. It was a pleasure, as always. Folks out there, stay tuned. There is so much to come. Stay bold, committed, and open-minded, and hear you at the next Siemens Ayala podcast. Cheers. Mm -hmm.